For the hardest-hitting thought leadership in commercial real estate, this is Industrial Strength with your host, Chase McLeod. Industrial and logistics facilities have become the major focal point of the commercial real estate industry, especially since the lockdown and COVID. And today, we have the honor of being joined by a perennial expert in this field, his company, International Management Services, or IMS Worldwide, evaluates the logistical advantages and value propositions of properties for top real estate investment trusts, developers, and investors. Mr. Curtis Spencer, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, I'm really glad to be here, uh, Chase. Um, thanks a lot for setting this up and getting it all uh, dialed in relative to the technology. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, the questions, the interview, and being able to see everybody in person next year. You got it. Thank you so much again. So um, jumping right in, for those who aren't familiar, if you could give our audience a background on yourself, uh, your company, IMS Worldwide, and what you specialize in. Sure. So this summer marks my 44th year of being a consultant in uh, the customs import export space in uh, logistics and trade analysis and in uh, international logistics occupier uh, needs and requirements, which we've done for the last 25 years. Um, the company has really morphed. Uh, in fact, I'm just writing a book, Chase. Uh, I will have that book out probably by the end of the year. Awesome. Uh, it's, it's basically called uh, How to Multiply Yourself. And it's for guys your age and, and maybe a little about uh, 1995, I really got uh, involved. And that's where it took us, quite frankly, to advising REITs, development companies, and large and small um, uh, landowners, et cetera, around the logistics connection with uh, industrial real estate. And you know, when WTO approved China as a most favored nation, as opposed to being a communist nation, which we did in 2000, uh, that changed the entire dynamic, created the one and a, 1.8 billion square feet in Southern California. And we had all this huge trade influx. And so all the developers said, hey, we need to understand who is our new occupier. Um, and so the combination of what we did with foreign trade zones really dovetailed into the logistics trend analysis. So this is a bit of a broad question, but sure. what are you seeing in supply chain and logistics in heavily populated markets prior to COVID and the lockdown? And, and how has the massive surge and reliance on e-commerce you know, forced the supply chain and logistics to evolve since the lockdown? And, and really, where do you see it evolving moving forward? It's a really great question. Uh, if you've ever seen me speak before on global logistics trends, you know I always put in a couple of slides on e-commerce. And back before e-commerce was even a big deal for industrial, uh, I think 2000, eight or nine, I started saying, hey, we got to watch this trend. Because even though it started with a very small base, e-commerce was growing at 16% a year. And whether it's been 14 or 17, it's always stayed right around 16% year over year growth. This first half of 2020, e-commerce grew 40%. Wow. 
Now, because it grew 40%, and this is not even the international side. I just got off of a two-hour conference call, uh, conference call webinar by U.S. Customs on the growth in e-commerce across the border. Their growth in the last three years has been 180% of small package delivery. And so it's, it's really taxing the U.S. Customs Service. So as we go forward, what you're really seeing is a conversion almost on a square foot by square foot basis, mm -hmm. a conversion of retail to e-commerce. Mm -hmm. E-commerce is basically just a building, a industrial, sometimes two stories internally. Um, I, I do have some discussion points about the multi-story. I've got some, some thoughts about that, but I will tell you that we're going to get more and more of the five food groups of e-commerce, mm -hmm. the big bombers, mm -hmm. the regional distribution, mm -hmm. the sort centers, the last mile, yeah. and then transfer stations, which really is going to look on a third party basis for smaller, mm -hmm. smaller than Amazon, Walmart, and Target. Yeah. The smaller ones using third-party logistics providers that will grow from the autonomous truck growth in the next 10 years. So this is going to be an awesome segue to what you just talked about, Curtis. So, you know, yeah. everyone always talks about the monster tenants and the deals that they're doing, right? The Amazon, right. the Walmart, the Wayfair, the Medline, et cetera. Um, but our team has seen an unbelievable surge in the 40 to 140,000 square foot tenant demand, especially during the lockdown. You know, the, the FBM model or the fulfilled by merchant model has been one of the driving forces behind the tenants in that size range, you know, needing more space immediately. So a lot of the owners thought this size range was going to get hit the hardest because right. of COVID and it actually ended up being the exact opposite. So a great segue to what you were just talking about is yeah. what are you seeing today and what are you forecasting tomorrow for the mid-sized distribution and fulfillment businesses as our reliance on e-commerce becomes you know, even heavier? So the big news over the last six to eight months was e-commerce, mm -hmm. but right behind that was safety stock. So this fulfilled mm -hmm. by merchant is where I'm Kroger, I don't have enough paper towels, I don't have enough PPE, uh, sanitize, hand sanitizer, for goodness sake. So a lot of that um, absorption came from those kind of companies having to add on immediate space. Do they need another half a million? No, they've already mm -hmm. got their distribution center. It's, you know, hundred miles away, but they needed immediate space as close in as possible. This is why your hundred to 200,000 grew so fast. Yeah. Smaller companies needed the exact same thing and you're starting to see third-party logistics providers, the SIVA, the XL Logistics, the mm -hmm. NFI, the uh, XPOs, those guys are gonna be able to have 250, 300,000 square feet with five tenants in there, with three tenants, with two tenants. And you're gonna start seeing that grow much more as everybody's gotta to get to scale. Everybody's chasing Amazon. Now Walmart's coming out with their one day delivery. Yep. Everybody's chasing that capability to provide what you want, when you want it. And that means 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Once so, we get into the, the global guys doing it, yeah. then you're gonna see air freight hub growth like you've never seen before. 
Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, let's stay on that topic for one more question. So guys like PLD came out in like May and they started talking about predictions on exactly what you're talking about, about this, this, this supply shock and then the safety percentage of what they're anticipating companies needing as a just in case. So, you know, every owner, every institution, developer, et cetera, they're going to want to know what your insight and thoughts about that are going to be on what the ripple effects going to be on space needs moving forward, maybe away from super infill locations, maybe a little bit further out if it ends up being the safety stock just in case type supply. So what, what are your thoughts about the ripple yeah, effects on safety that? Safety stop stock won't go to the double decker, triple decker Bronx facilities. Mm-hmm. They will stay in the outer areas because they're there to provide that safety. But I think it was CBRE and, and Prologis together did a mm-hmm. quick analysis that even at two and a half to three percent more safety stock of everything that's needed in a home other than consumer uh, electronics and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know apparel. I mean, you're, you're talking about hundreds of millions of square feet more space because we're a very mature distribution country, especially if you include what's going on in Mexico and what's going on in Toronto, we got, that's, that's billions and billions of square feet. So you just need 3% more. That's several hundred million square feet. That phenomenon also is impacted the more we push out from China, the more we push out from China, start to develop these newer Vietnams and Thailands and Cambodia type origin locations, those guys got to ramp up. And when they ramp up, they're going to have to send more stock here as fast as possible, but just only means more industrial buildings. Awesome. Yeah, so it's great for industrial, right? Now. It's great for industrial. It's the biggest topic we're talking about. It really today. is. It um, really is. You know, so Curtis, one of the biggest questions we're getting from industrial property owners, especially developers, institutions, etc., is what are building specifications that are necessary in 2020 and beyond, and what building specifications can or would make a building obsolete now or very soon or in the near future. So on new product, the question always result, revolves around minimum clear height uh, and truck court depth. But specifically your insight, what are you seeing and hearing from your clients that are non-negotiable requirements when they're choosing new locations? Well, I'm going to give you a real high level because guys like in Ware Malcolm and those other great architects that are out there can give you a little bit more of the specifics. But let me give you some high level. Number one, I've been screaming truck dock expansion for years. Mm-hmm. If you give me double the parking spaces as I've got dock doors, mm-hmm. then I'm in pretty good shape. Okay. That's the minimum. That's a gotta have. Okay. Most importantly, though, we're going to start seeing, especially in constrained areas, we're going to start seeing detention ponds underneath auto parking. Interesting. Or you got to have the land for the auto parking mm-hmm. where you used to put in a half million square foot building, you put a hundred auto park, auto parking spots. Right. Now you got to put 500. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is going to go away, especially if I can develop it. Here's a real nice trick for you developers. Mm-hmm. If I can develop it in such a way 
that I can ebb and flow the needs for the truck parking with the personnel parking. So if I don't have an e-com need, I use more truck parking. If I do have one, I cut it down to at least that minimum. Right. Nobody's going to argue with extra truck parking. Okay. Right. They'll never argue with you on that. So that's always a good thing. Um, just the ability though, to ebb and flow between those two types of parking makes a huge difference. Are you seeing from any of your clients, one observation that, that we're making in our markets, like the Inland Empire, Southern California is there's this debate on clear height because yeah. obviously industrial real estate from an acquisition standpoint is yeah. extremely hard to come by and only getting harder. So a lot of what the catch 22 ends up being is there's, there's a focus on land, right? To build brand new right. class A construction. Right. But then the flip side is the land becomes more expensive. The cities become more difficult to deal with for entitlements. And then right. some of these buyers say, well, then why aren't we buying existing product? So one question I have for you is there's this great debate on is there enough of a pool of tenants that could be okay with 24 to 26 foot clear and a decent sprinkler cal because they're only four stacking. They're moving their product so quickly. They're not investing the money on very narrow aisle um, racking because it's just going so quickly. So what's your, I know a ton of owners and investors that ask me that question all the time, right? If we so buy a 26 foot clear, are yeah. we still going to get a good premium on rent? Is there still a, a tenant base for that? So it really depends on where that is. Okay. Your typical 24, 26 clear is going to be closer in town. Mm -hmm. If it's closer in town, it now works with that third food group for e-commerce, the source center. In a okay. source center, I'm not stacking up five high mm -hmm. and having two levels of mezzanine. I don't mm -hmm. need it. I'm bringing pallets in that are already most likely marked for final delivery, or I'm going to mark them for final delivery because this is my hot product. This is my top 1000 from Amazon. Right. You know, whatever that may be, you know, that is at best buys top sellers. That's mm -hmm. what's going to go into a source center. So in that, in that type of food group that you're talking about, that investors still have, they just need to recast it. They need to recast it. This is a downtown location sort center ready for you to use. Boom, there you go. Just like we were talking uh, years back, um, Chase, when we were talking about, you know, the closing of all of these ginormous retail centers. Mm -hmm. And it can be, it can be anything. It'd be a JCPenney or a Sears or a, Sears or a standalone uh, footlocker. Right. <laughs> you know, right. if you've got, 50,000 feet and I've got, you know, what, 800 parking spots. Right. I, I'm, I'm a perfect downtown located close in source center and final mile. So yeah, they just got to think about how to recast mm -hmm. this product type. And th the last thing I'll say is I, I ran across a company and I'm not plugging them. There's surely mm -hmm. competitors, but roof lifters, you know, mm -hmm. they took a downtown LA, it was mm -hmm. uh, close in Orange County, mm -hmm. 24 foot building, raised it to 32. It was like $4 a foot or something. Wow. Holy crap. Right. $4 a foot yeah. to go from the pariah to mm -hmm. right in the market sweet spot. Interesting. Uh, and, and then for new product, let me talk about this. I, I remember the first time I heard about a 40 foot tall building, mm -hmm. but TJ Maxx took half of their 
million square foot in Phoenix, Arizona, mm -hmm. and made it 40 feet, got mm -hmm. the extra mez, got the extra uh, room for conveyors and stuff. And that building's worked great for them for years. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Part of the building is at 36, the rest of it at 40. So I, I can see that, and this is, this is almost eight years ago, Prologis mm -hmm. built that. Yeah. I, I guarantee you we're going to see more and more of 40 foot as a standard in the next three to four years. Yeah. Interesting. We're, yeah. we're already seeing it specced um, oh, yeah. on much larger buildings in the Illinois Empire. Here's another great debate that I'd love your, your insight on. I, the clear height debate at the 150 to 250 level between 32 to 36 foot clear, everyone's yep. got an opinion. I don't think anyone's necessarily right or wrong, but with you being an expert in so many of these different tenants and companies and what they do and what they need, usually the question is, can someone even use 36 foot clear in a 170, right? Or yeah, is, I, is 32 gonna make a 250 obsolete sooner than we really want? No. And I, I would say this, that the smaller the building size, square footage, mm -hmm. the less high it has to be. Mm. You've got a lot of uses that, I mean, why would I wait uh, for the bigger guys? I mean, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be companies that can use 40 foot high, 200,000 square feet, but it doesn't really make too much sense. The, the, the difference between 32 and 36, I can't, that's not even a pallet position. Right. It's not. Right. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't fret having a 32 if I'm under 200,000 square feet. Okay. I wouldn't fret that at all. Okay. It's just one of the things that owners, de developers, and, and, and asset holders need to always consider is I've got to learn to recast my product. Now I can't just say it's an industrial building, 175,000. I've got to say what it works for. It works as a sort center. It yeah. works as a final mile. It's yeah. got all this extra parking here. It, it, or it's got, you know, some ambient, some cool storage. It, those are really important things to have now, especially if you're closer in. Right. Especially if you're closer in. So one of the services that your company, company specializes in is the application for and creation of foreign trade zones, FTZs. Yes. So how are they being used now uh, that the China tariffs are 25% you know, or more uh, and, and the Chinese the tariffs have become a way of life for so many occupiers? Well, I, I got to tell you, I just read today's Wall Street article on Biden and his group mm -hmm. and what they're predicting is how they're going to treat China. And it's lockstep to how Trump is treating China. Hmm. So we're not going to get away from these high duty rates for a long time. Okay. The other thing you got to remember is customs received into the treasury about 22 billion a year in tariffs pre-Trump. Today, that number is 120 billion. Wow. Now, when the Congress gets hold of 120 billion, 20, 20 billion is a rounding error. When they get a hold of 120 billion, they're going to spend it. Yeah. So for both of those reasons, i.e., we've stopped being soft on China, and number mm -hmm. two, we got an extra hundred billion dollars in the coffers. Right. We're not going to get away from this. So the only way to mitigate the the tariff issue is by setting up a foreign trade zone. They're mm -hmm. fast to do now. 
other than in Arizona and Texas, which gives you double the benefit for state taxes, mm -hmm. in 48 other states, I can get them done in 90 days for a potential occupier. So 90 days is, that's faster than the speed of, you know, yeah. onboarding a customer or, you know, bringing yeah. them in from, from a, a site selection process. So yes, it is much easier now. It is much more, I mean, our phones were ringing off the wall with FTZ requests. Companies that didn't have one reason because their average duty rate was 1%. Right. Who's going to get all excited about 1%? It's just cost of doing business. Now it's one plus 25 or 26%. <laughs> A company called us the other day that makes the plastic trays that go inside those giant data center racks. This is just the plastic trays. Right, right. 25% increase in their raw materials. Wow. Well, now how do they compete? So yeah. they need a foreign trade zone. Uh, you know, a company that does giant blowers in factories needs a foreign. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it it goes on and on and on and on. Uh, apparel had a twenty five percent duty rate, but now apparel from China has twenty five percent plus twenty five percent. Yeah, and these things are not. They're not going away. I mean, uh, we may mitigate it a little, but so you set up a foreign trade zone. And there's still developers that set up foreign trade zones all the time. Mm -hmm. We do it for the largest developer in the country. We do it all over the place for them. Really? For the for the next top 10 developers, we've either done it for them or are currently doing it for them now. And that allows the developer to control the site versus the user. Super mm -hmm. fast to do the user, but it makes sense in a larger park, anything over 150 acres, mm -hmm. surely makes sense to have the developer set that up as For what sure. they call a magnet site because it stays with the development really not tied to the user interesting yeah we set those up all over curtis how has the last six months and the surge in our reliance in e-commerce what has that done to the trucking industry and how will that industry be impacted over the next 6 12 18 months the the good news about being where i am is i'm uh, and our company and our whole, all 10 people that we have working with us is that we get to watch trends, discuss those trends with our peers and really wait for it, wait for it. When it really becomes a trend, then we report on it. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I mean, I read 16 trade mags a day. Hmm. Here's what's happening transportation follows the pandemic problem. So here we had this, we had the, the pandemic dropped all mm -hmm. GDP, right? Well, 36% mm -hmm. drop, 40% drop. And then, and then behind it comes trucking dropping. And then now we're going back up and trucking because people got out of trucking. People put their trucks out. They, they idled container ships. Mm -hmm. They idled other things like uh, rail, uh, rail, uh, what do they call the, the, um, the, uh, uh, the cars that sit, that hold the containers, the rail mm -hmm. cars that held the containers were, were idled. Now Union Pacific is charging $500 surcharge. If mm -hmm. you want to get on in LA and go to Chicago and you're yeah. not Walmart target or somebody big, right. Right. it is insane. So we're seeing a real resurgence. The truck freight index is back up 
almost to where it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Schneider, JB Hunt, Warner, those guys are hiring again. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's a, you know, we're, it's not a V, but it right. certainly is a nice, nice looking swish. Yeah. Where do you and IMS see growth in the secondary and tertiary markets moving forward? We're seeing some very weird growth that we would have never expected, especially in secondary markets. But I have to tell you that any state close to California is going to grow like a wildfire. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I really don't know how you do it. But the, the momentum and the deal flow in Phoenix right now mm -hmm. is off the charts. Wow. The deal flow in Columbus, Ohio, off the charts. Mm -hmm. the, in, in secondary markets, so not your Dallas, your Inland Empire, your New York, New Jersey, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, you know, not those markets. I see those the two hottest ones. Mm -hmm. After mid-21, Houston is going to jump right back on the bandwagon. Really? Because Houston got hit with a double whammy of pandemic and right, right. the uh, oil issue. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I wouldn't own an office building right now in Houston, <laughs> but I certainly would buy industrial. Right. Industrial is right where it needs to be. And there's a lot of new stuff coming. The tertiary markets, here's some really weird tertiary markets that we're seeing. South, Southern Cal, uh, Carolina, South Carolina, mm. yeah. around Greer, Greenville, yeah. about to explode. Uh, now, is that is that because of BMW or anything related to car companies or is that just completely? Everything related to BMW and car companies. Okay, everything. interesting, interesting. It's just insane uh corpus christi texas really 40 billion dollars is invested in corpus christi by large-scale manufacturers and wow. call a broker in corpus and say hey can i leave can i lease a hundred thousand square feet and you get laughed out of somebody needs to wow. go and build some spec in corpus there's right. no space interesting teeny tiny market third level market yes all along the San Antonio Austin corridor, yeah. great tertiary market for development. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. Uh, it's it, we're just seeing a lot of things that you wouldn't expect. The Greer South Carolina deal, mm. that's all based on an airport and an intermodal terminal. Same mm. with Columbus Airport, Rickenbacker, and an intermodal terminal, Norfolk Southern. This this kind of growth plus Columbus is still the smallest city with the largest amount of e-commerce in the USA. It's amazing. For a while, they topped Inland Empire. And really? now they're probably running third or fourth. Yeah, just like Phoenix. I went to a data center workshop five years ago. Phoenix area, and that's mm -hmm. Phoenix, Mesa, Glendale, everything, yeah. was not even in the top 20. Apple was basically the only one out in Mesa yeah. in yeah. 2000, I think, uh, 12. They started that big 1.3 million. And now, as data center goes, Phoenix is in the top 10. Microsoft bought 300 acres out there in the desert. Google's buying. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And we're seeing the same thing in, in other markets where you wouldn't expect it. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't expect it. But now you're seeing this crazy growth. Final question, Curtis. So one of the biggest topics of owners, investors, developers the last six months has been the lack of cold storage facilities 
in our key markets across the country, right? And the dramatic, the, the dramatic increase in the demand for it, right? So what are you forecasting specifically for this space type, right? And what do you anticipate seeing over the next two years? Well, I never thought I'd see the day when rank and file large scale REITs got into the cold storage business, but they are. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was sitting with uh, Kim Snyder, a prologist at a big conference about five years ago. And I said, well, what's been your history with cold storage? He said, don't talk to us about cold storage. We had a terrible, terrible experience. But, but they've come around too. They're really showing, you know, in the work they are doing, JLL uh, had some information out about this earlier. So did uh, CB that basically cold storage, there's now spec cold storage going on. Spec. Which is cold storage. I never. Yeah, there's a guy. Uh, Scott Pertel's company is is building spec cold storage. Now, this is kind of like that food group that was the Amazon with three mezzanines. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one hundred and twenty dollars right. a right. foot. Well, right. cold storage starts at one twenty and goes up to two hundred. So, it's going to be an interesting phenomenon. But it's all tied to e-commerce. Mm -hmm. It's all tied to e-com. Yes, we add 10 million new mouths to feed in the U.S. every mm -hmm. three years. 10 million. So you got to feed those guys. You got to have more right. cold storage. Right. Secondly, we want peaches in the middle of winter. You can't get them unless you get them from Chile. So, you know, as Americans, I remember the first time that ever happened to me. I go to the grocery store and I know what fruits and vegetables are yeah. off, you know, the yeah. counter cyclical to the yeah. U.S. economy, and there they are. And I'm going, how do we get that? Look at the pack, you know, made in Chile, made in Ecuador, or yeah. grown in Ecuador, yeah. you know. And so you start realizing that as consumers, that's what we want. But now we want four peaches delivered in two hours. Yeah. I can do it out of the grocery stores. And they're doing a great job. I can't believe H-E-B. If you go shopping at H-E-B, a local H-E-B now, you get run over by the people in the carts running around trying to get, yeah. you know, yeah. trying to fill other people's orders. Yeah. My son just got hired by Shipped, which huh. goes in shops for you and your wife at the store, right. brings right. you the groceries, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm thinking, this is my college son, which is good. I want him to work. That's a great thing. Of course. Yeah. There you go. Very good. But what we get now is now we're going to get distributed cold storage that is more than just capable capable mm -hmm. bit with the the freezer room in a, a, a grocery store right i'm gonna have to have that here's what's coming next the grocery stores in china mm -hmm. half of that stuff is prepared groceries mm -hmm. You, you work hard, you stop by the grocery store, you yep. grab the thing, you pop it in the microwave or in yep. the oven. HEB uh, started doing this too. I, and I'm not just talking about HEB, but I know Kroger has it. Safeway brands have it. They have a whole cold storage area in the grocery store where you mm. pick out and it's steak and potatoes and, right. you know, good stuff. It's not yeah. just, you know, a chicken sandwich. So we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. And a lot more of it delivered. And when they deliver it, they've got to have the capability around. 
So I told you that was final question, but I lied. I'm having too much fun talking to you. So one more, okay? So loaded, loaded question, okay? Sure. But we're already seeing a little bit of conversion of large, heavy parked malls converting. And this is a topic that I think everybody's asking, waiting, can you, could have. I've heard about deals on ghost malls in Cleveland, Ohio, that Amazon yes, is converting and changing and adding loading, et cetera, yes, et cetera. The flip side of that, now I live in Southern California, right? So I'm exposed to a little bit different than what other people are, but the cities are holding out and hoping retail is going to come back and they want to keep those properties retail. The flip side is if the retailers don't come back and you've got more and more vacant properties, ghost, ghost, this is a loaded question, but how do you advertise or convince the benefits of allowing a heavily parked, well-located at main and main type mall, right? Or retail center that's vacant. And the one thing that's in common on a lot of those big box uh, type buildings, they're 50,000 square feet and they've got yep. at least two doctors in the back, right? Yep. So loaded question, but how do you start that conversation with a city and show them what the benefits could be? There's three key areas to me and they really, work well, especially in greener cities. Mm. So keep that in mind. Okay. And, it's, and it's a discussion that has to be made right to the city council, not to staff, mm -hmm. but right to city council. Mm -hmm. Number one, when I have that 50,000 square foot box, you, city, require me to put in 500 spaces for 500 cars. Right. That if it was full retail and going guns, I'm going to have this much pollution. Hmm. When I convert that, I'm going to have products in a truck that are ride sharing hmm. off that one spot in the parking lot. So I promise you, I'm going to lower the greenhouse gas effect by a factor of 90% because I'm going to get all the in and out truck move or vans or small cars are going to hold multiple packages. Yeah. So Mrs. Smith comes to the store, she buys a pair of shoes, she gets out and she pollutes. Now mm -hmm. I put in 20 packages of shoes into one little van and I run it to different people around. I have saved the city that much greenhouse. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, if it's a final mile sale, I should be getting some retail sales out of that. Interesting. I should be getting the tax, retail sales tax mm -hmm. off of that transaction. If I'm not, I better be suing the guy who wants to do it and get my retail tax. Yeah. If they're doing it all over in Arizona, if all the e-commerce going there. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is, and that really sings to the city council. Okay. The third thing is, how long are you going to hold out for the return of a travel agent. That industry basically went away with the internet. Mm -hmm. Are they gonna keep on holding out for brick and mortar retail to make a big comeback? Great question. That was, that was a question everybody in the investment world posed to me when I said in 2010, Amazon's for real, you guys need to get behind this. But we've never, we've never uh, underwritten a hundred dollar a square foot warehouse. 
right. said, you right. got to get to it. Four years later, yeah. everybody's jumped on that bandwagon. Right. Same thing. So those three things are huge. Cuts down on traffic, cuts mm -hmm. down on pollution. You should still get the retail out of it, right? Yeah. And, and you turned a, a safety and security building because mm -hmm. ghost buildings are not safe and secure. Mm -hmm. You got vandalism in there. You got homeless yeah. people want to go in. It's, it's, there's a lot of issues with ghosts mm -hmm. that you clean up with another enterprise. So that message yeah. needs to go out across every major city of a million people or more. Absolutely. Every single question that you answered today, Curtis, is on every single one of our clients and our audience's mind. I feel so fortunate to have spent time with you today. My audience is fortunate for getting your insight. For anybody watching this video, connect with Curtis Spencer on LinkedIn, go to his website for IMS Worldwide, and I highly, highly encourage you, contact him, contact his company, because if you think he was good on video, just wait until you invite him to your next event. Mr. Curtis Thank Spencer, you. my friend, Thank you so much for your time. You bet, Chase. Appreciate it. Take care.